And the one that I saw this morning from Lowe's was so tremendously authentic looking. So I went to Lowe's and logged on and they had no such prize. It was, it was a scam. It was a phishing email to try to get me to give them my password to Lowe's so they could order a bunch of stuff, whoever was doing this. That's, the other a, that's thing a low is, blow, just saying. Look, it's a Lowe's blow. Yeah, Lowe's blow. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting, at least for us, second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will say such things as... The ADG ADP jobs report came out on Thursday. And chat GPT's uh, demand has dropped. Things like that. Yeah. I, I did it? It did. There was a fascinating thing. You know, Wall Street's... Uh, Wall Street is a... Wall Street and Main Street aren't that different anymore because anybody that's in America and owns anything generally also owns stock of some kind. Mm -hmm. So when people say Wall Street, it's just like, oh, it's in New York. It's very sophisticated. No, it's all of us. Okay, we're all there. But there's been this craze over AI. Um, everybody's Which really exciting. isn't AI. No, it's not really. It's, it's a language learning model that's defining knowledge in a different way. But we're getting to a point where the Turing test could easily be passed. Um, so when we're looking at this thing in a general point of view, we're going along and we see suddenly that chat GPT, which is still the leading AI traffic location, had its volume drop by about 10% in June, which caused immediate panic across the, the world of Wall Street. All of the investors are going, oh, maybe we were wrong. Maybe AI is ahead of its time. Maybe, maybe, and fill in all the blanks. And my quick and simple answer to that last week was followed up by a Google research person confirming it. About 10% of the volume at ChatGPT was cheating on homework. And in June, schools aren't in session. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me make a comment about that. I inadvertently wound up using ChatGPT uh -huh. yesterday when I, was, when, we, when I was writing on the newsletter. I asked a question in, in Bing which is Microsoft's search engine. Mm -hmm. And instead of getting a series of websites that I could look at to, to find the answer, I got a chat GPT answer. And man, was it wrong. Yeah. It, it, we, we came in, uh, what, about a month ago where I had gone through and asked. I, I basically have a list of questions that I would ask to, say, uh, high school econ students uh, to uh, undergrad econ students and to grad level econ students. And I asked them to both BARD, which is Alphabet's version, and ChatGPT, which is Microsoft's version. BARD did a better job. I would have given it a barely passing grade at the collegiate level, not the graduate school, not anywhere near that. Um, ChatGPT failed at the high school level. It was maybe barely a pass if, if you had a friendly teacher at the high school level. They just, I mean, they basically said that the labor force was the entire population. Uh, that's not how that works. So AI is not there yet. It will be. Uh, what I can tell you, Bard's better at generalized stuff, including economics, 
ChatGPT is far better at code writing. It's much, much better at writing SQL commands and Java code and C Sharp and all that stuff where Bard is better at kind of sort of answering generalized questions and tends to get a better answer on economics. But if you've ever tried to, to search the web for good economic sources, you can very clearly, very quickly understand why it is that the AI is getting these questions so wrong in the answers. And the reason is because it's scraping the web for its answers, and most of those are wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not really, and this is something I think that very few people are getting at this point, including the people who are investing in it. A large language model isn't thinking. It's doing what Jake just said. It's looking across the entire internet really, really, really quickly and saying what words go together in response to the words you put together to ask it a question. And as a result, it's simply echoing back what is being said in the largest volume of misinformation in the history of the world. Yes. This is, this is by, just as a side note, why it is that the chat, the AI chatbots keep falling into fascism and white supremacy is because there's a lot of it on the internet. And it's really, once you get into it, it's all they talk about. So it's a very concentrated uh, bunch of data that offsets the averages on everything else. And so the, the chat bot thinks, well, this is the way everybody talks because I'm just averaging it all together. Nope, not how everybody talks. That's really not how you're supposed to talk. So we're getting there. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen relatively quickly as far as those answers getting more and more correct. But it's only going to get there because of the human trainers at this point. It doesn't know at the, at the basic level. It's not very good. None of the AIs are very good at determining correct from incorrect yet. They do it based on the average of answers across a whole range of things and quite often give the same weight to an answer given by a Nobel Prize winning economist to the five-year-old that's posting on an economics question about chewing gum. Uh, so yeah, you could get you, you average those two answers together and you're still wrong. <laughs> Even if one of them is 100% right, you're still failing grade. Um, and that's, that's where we are right now. Just heads up, AI is going to be amazing. It, it is also going to be terrifying. We're experiencing both sides of that. But uh, it's, it is definitely not ready for uh, prime time quite yet. And unfortunately, uh, it is in prime time. So go ahead. But it is in prime time. Uh, I may have mentioned this last week. I don't know. But I read an article. Uh, in, I think it was in the, the Wall Street Journal. It was one of the major publications that there was in federal court, an attorney presented an argument before the judge in writing, which is the way they do this, he presented the brief, and the judge looked at it and couldn't recognize some of the sites, which is the court cases. Uh -huh. So he started checking, he had his staff check the sites, and it turned out that they almost all were just made up out of whole cloth. They're totally fake. So he spent 45 minutes, which is something of a record, chewing out the attorney that made this, that submitted this, and it turned out that another attorney had put the brief together using chat GPT hadn't checked it, but he and was going to was getting ready to do it in state court when the case was moved to federal court. And this other attorney on his firm, who's who's who is licensed to operate in federal court, got the brief, assumed the previous guy had checked it and submitted it. Uh, but the key thing is, Chat GPT in answering the attorney's question just made stuff up. 
Yeah, it, it basically said, this is how other answers have looked in this format. So I'll just put it in that format and give you some words that seem to come from words of other answers. Here you go. <laughs> so chat GPT is probably good at writing a children's novel. Uh, you, but... would, you would definitely want to edit it first in case it had been on a, a Nazi right. web page first. Uh, well, if you, apparently if you specify children's novel, it will tend to stay away from things like that. It'll look for things that are written for children. But the issue is it's writing fiction and recognize if you recognize when you use one of these quote AIs in quote, they're writing fiction. And that's cool. They're that's, not writing that, reality. Right. The idea that a machine can make a story that we can read and believe it as a story is a, in a, is a tremendous leap forward in technology. You just have to recognize that it is not an infinite leap forward in technology yet. It may not fully understand how it's supposed to answer. It may not means it doesn't yet. It doesn't have an understanding of the answer. It has an average of a bunch of answers that it's put together. It doesn't know for sure it's correct. And when you ask it why it gave you a wrong answer, it gets upset and stops talking to you, which is fantastic. This is amazing. If you treat this like a eight-year-old savant at college, you will go a lot farther than if you treat it as the professor at the university. Uh, the answer you're going to get back from the eight-year-old savant needs to be checked. It may be utterly correct, but it's probably not as um, balanced and researched as it needs to be, And no matter how smart that child is. Uh, eventually, AI is going to get old and get very mature and answer us all the questions with all kinds of Maybe. caveats. And, um, Maybe. That's what's well, going to happen. It is. It's, this is what happens I'm, with technology. Eventually, it will become so caveat-ridden that we'll just want to go back to asking other people again. I'm not going to try to suggest what the future is going to be. I'm just simply saying that. I'll give you some really good some, ones. I'll give you some. Uh, I'm going to give you a prediction on the future. Okay. I'm That's gonna, the best kind to give. You yes. can give me a prediction on the past. I, I'm, I, my accuracy, accuracy rate goes up dramatically on my predictions about the past. I mean, it's just right yes, off. But it's, I'm, it's still not perfect. Not perfect. It's, it has to do with record keeping. If we had better records, I could make better predictions about what happened in the past. So you are chat J-A-K-E. Yes. Yes, I, I can make an average result of the answers to the history questions. Yes. Um, where was I before that? Uh, you were going to give me uh, a prediction about the future. About the future. The future is just yeah. not what it used to be, according to Yogi Berra. So we're going to approach right. this. And I'm going to give you the... No, I'll just give you the prediction, and then I'll give you why I gave the prediction. Chat GPT and Bard at some point in the future for asking it questions that have nothing to do with search results are going to cost you money. There's my prediction. I don't think so. It might be through advertisements. Yeah, advertisements. It might through, it's going to cost money. Um, right now, it is free. You come, you jump in, you do what you need to do, you ask your questions, the results are free. Now, there's all kinds of copyright issues. If you use that stuff in a new publication and it grabbed it from all these other places, what does that even mean? Nobody has any answers yet. But it's free. Um, and I would like to bring your, your thoughts back, going back in time uh, to uh, when Facebook came out, or Twitter, or Instagram, and you could get on there, and when you wrote, all of the people in your, in your friend group got to see it. And when they wrote, you got to see it. 
and your feed showed all of your friends' communications with nothing else in there. There were some things of, hey, you might know this person based on your mutual friends, mm -hmm. but you didn't have interspaced throughout it a massive number of advertisements, nor were you limited into which friends you were seeing. The algorithm has come forward and said, we don't want you to see posts that we don't think you're going to sit on the site and read at great length anymore. We're only going to give you the most controversial posts of your friends because those get the most responses. And that means that you'll be engaged in our site for longer time, which means you'll look at these advertisements for longer. That has to occur. When Facebook IPO'd its initial public offering. It had no profits, zero. It did not know how to make money yet. And it was a wonderful place to be on. You could click through, you could see all this stuff. And what we're seeing at Twitter right now, as much as everybody's calling it bad names and talking about the, the horrors of it, Twitter is going through in a very short period of time what Facebook went went through over about an eight-year period. They're trying to make it a profitable enterprise just based on its readership rather than based on selling the private information of its readership to a bunch of advertisers. This is fascinating. I'm not jumping on there to say Elon Musk's making no mistakes. Obviously, he's, he's human. And in some areas, he's catastrophe prone. Uh, in other areas, the catastrophes are what makes him profits. What I am saying is that in the AI front, we should expect the same thing. When this new technology of social networking came out, the ability for us to see everybody we went to school with, to hear about their wonderful and amazing lives that have no blemishes whatsoever, it was an advent of communication and a, and a breakthrough in technology, and we could all be on the internet together and share it for free. And now when you get on Facebook, it's a little bit more like going to a neighborhood meeting that's heavily driven by um, the politics of the neighborhood. <laughs> it is really not a pleasant place anymore. There's very few things on Facebook that I go on there to see. Well, well, there's a lot of people that stay on it. It's, very, it's immensely profitable. So what's happening there? Well, the demographic has changed. They've become a different kind of company in the process. And we're seeing that happen at Twitter and so on. Microsoft is making a huge amount of money more than it makes from its office suite or its uh, operating system off of servers and hosting. They want to make money off of doing web searches, and they're making more and more money off of that since ChatGPT came out. That's GPT. Um, and when you look over at Google, Google Alphabet's trying to do the same thing. But when we kind of lay this out, you can see a pattern. It comes out free. You get hooked on it, and they raise the price. I mean, that's a pretty normal pattern across all markets, across all history. So I feel pretty comfortable in saying that at some point, AI is going to yeah. cost money, and if, it's probably going to be consider, less convenient to use. If you consider advertising paying money, reading advertisements is equivalent because you're taking your time to pay money. I also right, think, right. I do think that there will be a version of the large world word models that is more accurate and takes more time to make sure what it's saying is correct yeah that you'll pay fees for and they won't be cheap you basically it will it's just like it's, we get economic information and we right. put it together and we compile it into a newsletter and into this radio program and into the advice we give our clients 
It ain't cheap. And, and we can get it from various sources. And there is a direct correlation that I have observed between the amount of money we pay to those sources and the accuracy and usefulness of the information. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. Here we go. The Wall Street Journal tends to give better market research reporting than MSNBC. Absolutely. Uh, or, or Fox. Or Fox. Because they're not, there's a paywall. And they use that money to actually give us higher quality. That doesn't mean if you pay for it, it's better. But a lot of times there is a high correlation with the, with the high price for what you're uh, for the information and accuracy. Uh, and there's a Nobel Prize on that subject as well. Douglas North is worth checking into if you haven't. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, pricing of information and reliable of reliability of information is related. It's amazing. If you go to to Yale, the quality of your education may be higher than if you go to a community college in um, Baton Rouge. Yeah. I'm not saying anything bad about the Baton Rouge Community College. I'm not even sure if there is one, but uh, there is a correlation with what you pay for and what you get. It's amazing. It's not true everywhere, but the market's pretty good at bringing prices down on things that are absurdly expensive and don't give you the quality that you're expecting. Yep. Uh, you have a bunch to talk about, you said, so I'm going to throw it over to you. Okay. Well, what I'm looking at right now is a little different than what I thought I was going to talk about, but scams. Let's talk about scams for a minute. They are proliferating, and they're proliferating at a high rate of speed. And it's going to be very, very easy to be caught up in one. And matter of fact, you may have been caught up in one at some point, not even realize. We're continually hearing about hacks, where some hacker, and I quote, put quotations around that, has broken into a company's database and they have got thousands and thousands of names and social security numbers and all of that stuff. The, there really isn't a lot of computer sophistication to most of these hacks. The vast majority of them are situations where an email has been sent to a person that looks very, very, very authentic, asking them to verify their password or to log on via this link to some site. And the, I just read about a survey in the Netherlands that well-educated people, when sent these emails, about 22% of the time will, in fact, click the link and type in their password, which is how companies are being hacked across the country. Once the person has the password who sent you the email, they can use your email to log on to your company's computer or to your data. And they're, your, they're you as far as the software is concerned. And that's a real problem, and it's happening a lot. Uh, and there are more sophisticated ways, like breaking into the company to begin with or working at the company to begin with. Somebody works at the company and figures out how to get into their system and then quits the company. And still, that method, they, they, they didn't change all the methods for the person getting into the system. So they then sell that, and somebody gets in and gets a lot of data. But it's really important to recognize a couple of things. One, if you receive an email that says you've won something, I got two this morning, by the way, from very reputable companies where I've done business. Uh, one was from Lowe's and one was from Home Depot. Depot. They're both fakes, by the way, but they looked very, very real. And all they wanted me to do is click on a link to get my free uh, barbecue grill or generator or whatever they were offering because I had won a prize that the company was going to give me because of my uh, loyalty to the company. Go, don't click on that. 
if you think you really might have won the prize, which, by the way, is extremely unlikely, if you didn't enter a contest, the chances of winning it are pretty close to zero. Go straight to the company's website, log on at the company's website, and at that point, if you, in fact, have received a prize from the company, they will let you know because you are now in your account being you. And the one that I saw this morning from Lowe's was so tremendously authentic looking. So I went to Lowe's and logged on and they had no such prize. It was it was a scam. It was a phishing email to try to get me to give them my password to Lowe's so they could order a bunch of stuff, whoever was doing this. That's, the other a, that's thing a low is, blow, just saying. It's a Lowe's blow. Yeah, Lowe's blow. Uh, the other way, whenever you can, and it's a pain, believe me, I know it's a pain, go for two-factor authentication in all of your accounts that have any value to you. What is two-factor authentication? That means you log on to the company's website, and then they say they will send you a code on your cell phone, which you've also logged on to using another password to log into your cell phone, and then you have to type the code back in. It's a pain. It's a problem. I get tired of picking up my phone and seeing what I was just messaged so that I can type in a six-digit code, which I sometimes screw up and they have to do it again. But it's probably the most secure way of communication right now. And this is getting, it's going to get, it's getting worse with each passing day. Uh, I recently was, I wasn't scammed. I have no idea how somebody got into one of my accounts recently, but somebody did. They got through all the security stuff in something where I've not released anything and it's going to happen. And it's one of those things to be on your toes, check your statements, Statements are usually posted online, and I realize that most people that I have asked do not even check their statements from companies or from their bank account. They don't go over every transaction in the bank account and make sure it was legitimate. So just be aware that that's a whole category of scam that's going on across the economy right now. There's another one out there, too, that has been around forever, and that's the Ponzi scheme. Whenever somebody offers you what looks like a great deal for investment or return on your money, because you're special and it is really, really a special deal and you're the only one that gets it or whatever. They can be very sophisticated. Um, Madoff ran one for years, years and years and years. Decades. How do you know if you're getting into such a thing as that? Well, really, at the very least, I suggest going and paying someone, if you're going to invest a lot of money, who is a fiduciary, a fiduciary investment advisor, and ask them to investigate it. And that's even that may not be enough in a case of Madoff or something. Oh, I think it was because I see deals. I have we have clients who come in and say, I got this offer from somebody they trust, maybe a CPA that they trust, that I can have no taxes and a high return. And if I go through this company right here and I just look, take one look at it, I look at we talked about uh, Markowitz a minute ago. Markowitz created something called the Efficient Frontier. And he said, here is the max at any given layer of level of volatility or market risk. The efficient, the efficient frontier tells you, tells us what is the maximum possible return that is likely to happen there. And that sets luck aside. Occasionally luck strikes out, but don't depend on luck when you're investing. If whatever this organization or company or investment team or whatever is offering is above the efficient frontier, there's about a 99.9% chance it's fake. And if you don't know what the efficient frontier is, then obviously you need to find somebody who does know what the efficient frontier is, who can give you uh, 
unbiased advice, preferably who you're paying to do that, uh, and they're not getting commissions from somebody. It, it's just in the very sophisticated world we're in today, it becomes very, very, very important that you take a lot of care. Last but not least, this is my personal advice. Do not entrust the investments and savings that you plan to live on for the rest at some point in your life to somebody who is also the custodian. Now, what does that mean? That means if you give your money to the XYZ investment company and they are also the people who hold your money and who have total access to your money, you're asking for a problem. I strongly recommend that you look at whoever is at whatever company is giving you advice about your money and saying, here's what you should buy and here's what you should sell. If they have a third party custodian and they cannot go in and take money out of your account and put it in their pockets other than for fees, and, and that's in writing, you're probably far better off than you are investing in a company that is also the custodian, investing through a company that's also the custodian for your money. That is not 100%, but it's a good guideline. And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance program, as you would probably guess from the Personal Wealth Coach being our title. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is a professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this in, on this station, 1400 AM in Temple since 1996. We've been doing this a long time and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational, and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve that's generally and portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. 
Um, and so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at 254-947-1111. You can reach that line tool free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>